Welcome to PCI Cast, a conversation about life and faith in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. Let's hear what the team have been talking about this week. Hello and welcome to PCI Cast. I'm Ben Preston and with me is Mr. Uh, Reverend Craig Lynn, and don't you forget it. Oh, Craig, so official. We're <laughs> delighted to uh, be with you this uh, morning, evening, whenever you're listening and however you're listening. Thank you for following us, uh, liking, retweeting us on uh, at PCICast. If you would like to get in contact and you're not on Twitter and there are a few people who, believe it or not, Craig, are not on Twitter. Why I've never met them. <laughs> Why don't you not email us at, and Craig, keep me right, I think it's PCICast at Outlook.com. That is also correct. Yes, we have a very active email account, mostly with uh, like subscription stuff and <laughs> you know that kind of jazz. But listen, if someone wanted to send right. us uh, an email, we'd gladly read it. And uh, yeah. yeah, filled with Westminster subscription stuff, no doubt. That kind of subscription, Craig. Uh, yeah, sure, absolutely. Uh, I was talking. Yes, that that that's the sort. We'll not go into any. Yeah, yeah, that sort of subscription stuff. Um, Wonderful. And enough for vanity. We've got some housekeeping. Who won our um, our prize giveaway, the Marriage and the Mystery of the Gospel? So uh, in true PCI style, you want to do a drum roll or? Oh, we can do a drum roll. That's a okay. dreadful drum roll, but it's fine. Uh, the winner of uh, Marriage and the Mystery of the Gospel by Ray Ortland uh, was Alistair Dunlop Jr. all the way down in Dublin. So Alistair, uh, congratulations. We'll get that sent to you uh, as quickly as possible. Enjoy your reading. That's quite fun. Ray Auckland Jr. and won by Alistair uh, Dunlop Jr. Sweet. Yeah, no, that's good. Well done, Alistair, for for winning that. Uh, Ben, do you want to introduce our our topic and also our guests? You'll hear that's plural, guests, this evening. Yes. um, Lately, we've been challenged myself and you Craig, in our pastoral ministry uh, with regards to mental health, um, suicide, and issues pertaining to that. Now, we did do a little bit of work, at least in my time at college, on this, but I'm four years in and five years in and coming across hard cases. And I thought that we could invite along uh, Reverend Dr. Marty McNeely um, and also my good wife, uh, Dr. Jennifer Preston, to talk a little bit more um, about these things. Marty is a, a minister in Ballykeel, uh, Ballymena, and, and Jenny's a, a psychiatrist. So thank you guys for joining us. Thank you. <laughs> Marty, do you want to tell us about how uh, you started to engage with the world of dealing with the very broad topic that we're going to use tonight of, of mental health? Um, both in your pastoral ministry and perhaps maybe outside that as well. Can you tell us a little bit uh, about that? Um, thanks very much. Uh, thanks very much, guys, for letting me come on. I love I love the podcast. I really enjoy it. Um, I, I don't really want to be the guy that's that's the expert in this area because obviously it's um, a really uh, difficult uh, subject area and uh, there are probably loads and loads of pastors and uh, Christians out there who are much more um, kind of intellectually and professionally equipped to talk about it than I am. But um, I, I will just say that uh, y- you can spend obviously 
uh, a lot of time in college uh, learning really rich and helpful theology. And when you become uh, an assistant, you get like some exposure to pastoral stuff, um, which which I did. I had a really good assistantship in First Hollywood with um, Noble McNeely, my um, namesake, and, and Noble was a great pastor and example to me, you, you know, different scenarios that I would be involved in and, and you do get exposed to you know, a level of human pain. But um, whenever you're actually a minister in your own charge, in your own context, um, nothing really actually can prepare you for um, the, the bewildering and overwhelming um, sense that, that you get. Um, uh, I actually thought at one stage that um, probably in pastoral terms, cancer, you know, was, was the number one medical issue that I would deal with um, and it seemed to be like that it seems to be like that you know for for lots of ministers I guess but I, I would probably go as far as to say now that mental health um, and, and depression in particular those um, that that area is is probably the number one medical um, issue that I deal with as a pastor um, you know on a weekly basis so that's um, that's where I'm coming from you know I I I, I pastor into very complex situations regularly, and um, some of it's um, linked to um, breakdown relationships. Some of it's linked to um, adverse childhood experiences. Some of it might be postnatal. Some of it might just be plain old guilt and sin. Um, in in the different ways that that guilt and sin and shame can be manifest. Some of it can be. Um, drug related an awful lot of it can be especially amongst young people drug related so there's when we talk about the wider issue of mental health and the extreme issue of suicide that there's so much uh, there's such a broad continuum there and it's, it's there's so much nuance and it's incredibly complex so the bottom line is whenever you're um, a minister you're a pastor in a congregation in whatever locality you're in um, you're going to deal with an awful lot of that stuff pretty quickly. And it, it can be very, very bewildering. It certainly was very bewildering for me. And I, I made a lot of mistakes early on in trying to come to terms with it. And Jenny, then, as well, from from your perspective as uh, as a Christian psychiatrist, is there anything that, that Marty has said there that that rings true for you in, in your day job and in what you see? Absolutely. I think everything Marty said rings true. I um psychiatry read. I've worked in psychiatry now for six years. I'm currently working in the Belfast area in a team that sees patients who have thoughts of self-harm or suicide and may have acted on these. So um, I think if we think of Northern Ireland in particular, we have extremely high rates of mental illness and of suicide. Um, we have a 20 to 25 percent higher rate compared to the rest of the UK, particularly in regards to depression and self-harm. If we look at suicide rates, um, 2018 are the last figures that we have. England had a rate of 10.3 per 100,000. The Republic of Ireland had an all-time low at 7.2. And in Northern Ireland, we're at 18.6, which makes us the highest by far. Um, wow. The highest areas being North Belfast, West Belfast, and then Fermanagh and South Tyrone. So a, a, a difference there between urban areas and then looking at more rural areas where people might have a different kind of social isolation. Um, and I think Marty covered the, the main issues really well. So it, we would see patients who 
might have a mental health problem, so a diagnosable mental illness, um, patients who have a drug and alcohol problem, or people who have very difficult circumstances and have led very difficult lives. Um, Marty spoke about those adverse childhood events, um, which is becoming very prevalent um, whenever we look at these issues. But it's not, it's not normally as clear cut as that. A person may present with one, two, or all of these, um, and they can all lead to coming forward in self-harm or thoughts of suicide. Hmm. Thanks, Jenny. I guess what we would what we would like to do in our podcast here is with that overview, um, let's go into this in, into how that come up, how, how you began to uh, experience these things, Marty, um, and then we'll maybe talk through then a little bit later. I know everybody listening immediately wants to how can we help? What can we do? But let's um, let's unpick let's unpick the issue. Um, uh, and go through it slowly, uh, and God willing, uh, we'll get to Christ um, along the way. Uh, Marty, where did this all begin for you? Right. Okay. I mean, um, I will. I will just say this before we we go any further. Um, all of this is 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 so overwhelmingly um, massive um, and really really hard to deal with. I will just say this. I am absolutely convinced that whatever angle or perspective people take the answer is it's going to be multi-generational so it's going to involve you, you know um families uh over over a period of time and it's also going to be covenantal in the understanding that we have as presbyterians of how god deals with humans and and what that means in terms of how we preach and pastor into uh, situations involving mental health problems um so i'm just i'm just fronting that up there um because i want everything i do and think and say when i minister into these situations to be informed by that understanding that relationships like family relationships and relationships in the church family and the covenant nature of god i think um and the sovereignty of god uh, which i guess in our calvinistic understanding of things you know that is absolutely vital but what I will say then to kind of narrow in on on, on your um your question there, Ben, is is to say that um when I first you know encountered this in my own parish context in the early years, one of the mistakes I made was to try and um become like the mental health guru or expert. I tried to read every book I could find. And I tried to, um, like, you know, all that CCEF stuff and how people change and like anything Paul Tripp wrote. I, I would just spend tons and tons of time trying to read that. And um, like some of that stuff is very, very helpful and good stuff. And I think th there's loads of resources, which we'll talk about maybe uh, shortly, which are very, very helpful. But one of the things that I think a lot of guys um, in my situation or, you know, starting out in the first charge and maybe two or three years into their first charge, they have to remember, you're not called to be an expert in alcoholism. You're not called to be an expert in depression or, um, you know, domestic abuse or, or any of these issues that, that are relative to mental health um, and suicide. You, you, you can't be because you're not trained to be. You're, you're a preacher and a pastor. All right. So I think you need to always go back to that base. Um, but on the other hand, um, I would also say that I think it would be very, very wise um, to 
engage as intelligently as, and quickly as possible with good resources and um, to carefully um, seek out people who can advise you and help you. Um, like I'm really glad uh, Jenny is um, on the podcast with me now because w one of the things that you realize when you're um, visiting people in psychiatric wards or in hospitals and, and maybe overdosed or there's something really bad has happened, it's just so helpful and encouraging to meet other Christians in the health service who who you're partnering with uh, for the yeah. sake well, because you're there on behalf of the family and you're or, or the individual and then you, you meet a Christian on staff and that's so encouraging because you realize that you're not on your own that that there are people with you who can help you and I think that that's really really important to remember mm -hmm. yeah but, I mean I can talk a little bit more about what I've learned since but maybe um I'd be interested to hear what, what Jenny has to say about her perspective as a Christian working with some of those issues like because I one one of the things I did early early on actually was um, oftentimes I just try to keep my mouth shut actually um, and and really listen to people's pain and try and pick out you know maybe aspects of hope or something like right I used to speak to psychiatrists and OTs and Christians I know and I used to ask them for advice and and they were really helpful so I'd be very interested to know what Jenny would say in terms of advising pastors and ministering. I think just being a a source of love and of being a constant for for these people it, it can be an extremely distressing time um for them for their family members emotions change situations fluctuate and for all of the factors involved the world can be a very fast moving cruel place and to have the church um to have as a witness to christ to be a constant of love and to and of faithfulness, that kind of unchanging nature of that can be extremely reassuring for people, I think, in that situation. Um, to take the time to listen. If, if you feel somebody starting to talk about something, I know from talking to people, it can make you feel anxious, but to give that person the opportunity to open up a little bit about what's going on um, and to share what their thoughts are. And then just what you said, Marty, that you're never alone, even as a minister or as a somebody who works for a church who's visiting, you know, you aren't alone. Don't be afraid to come to um, services, to, co to come to accompany your, your, the person you're talking to, to their GP or, and I'm aware I'm coming from a very medical point of view, yes. but, um, when or. You, when you mean services, you don't yeah. mean church services. Yeah, no. <laughs> But sometimes there can be a bit of a fear around psychiatry and about mental health services, I think, within the church or, or just a, a misunderstanding of, of what's involved. But we really just want to help these people and to help everyone and to move things forward. And don't be afraid to to engage with that and to support them through that. And um, there's there's nothing to be afraid of there. Um, so, yeah, just to, to show love, to be faithful, to be constant, even when things get difficult, because... I'm sure from your pastoral experience, things aren't easy. These aren't something that is solved quickly. No. Um, this can in, this can endure for for years. Um, but to just be a constant in the midst of that is really comforting for people. Um, and in that way, to be a witness to Christ um, and His faithfulness. Marty, maybe back to maybe just thinking about our own context in the in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. Um, do you think this is something that 
that we as a church have come to late in the game in terms of addressing uh, mental health uh, issues more, more more broadly. I know, um, you know, we as a as a podcast certainly are, are new on the scene and we're addressing this now. I know as well, you know, that the, the Herald did their their uh, their previous edition was it the, the the February edition, which was given over entirely to the issue of mental health, and there were some really great and useful articles. But uh, more generally speaking, do you think this is something that we have? Um, come late to the game to as a denomination or or is this you know are, are we are we in step with perhaps the rest of uh, of churches you have any sense of that at all no i think um i wouldn't necessarily say that craig um in so much as i think um everybody is in in at a level coming um late to the game um you know, we, it's very much a topic of the day, isn't it? So everybody, everybody kind of feels obliged to have a view on it or an opinion on it, whether you're a church, whether you're a, a charity, or you know, I mean, there are there are people like um, there, there there are a lot of voluntary groups and um, groups um, working, um, you know, people like Aware and the Samaritans and, and groups like that have been, you know, talking about mental health issues for a very long, long time, and um, I don't necessarily think that the church are. Um, you know deficient in any way i think the problem is that we've always looked to the nhs to solve these problems and mm-hmm. um, where you know if you were to look at the american church for example um, because they haven't got a state healthcare system the concept and culture of counseling is much much greater in um, the american church now i'm not saying whether that's a good or a bad thing but well, I think actually it's a good thing in many ways that churches have more developed approaches to counselling and, and better mental health awareness. Um, I think increasingly across the board, churches and Christians are probably, um, you know, uh, being recognised as being, you know, helpful, caregiving. Um, I think that, you know, uh, yeah, um, I've been appreciated, let's put it that way. I've been appreciated by statutory bodies and by um, health uh, professionals and people realize that faith, um, spirituality is is something which is going to be good for people's mental health. And um, I, you know, think that churches obviously have an, uh, an answer in terms of just a holistic approach to healing as well as a medical approach. So, um to, to that extent, I think churches have always been there. Um, but as I say, because of the predominance of, of welfareism in the NHS, um, perhaps not as much um, as, as we might be in, in, other, in other countries like America. Is that fair? Does that, does that make sense, Jenny? I don't know. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, certainly. I think other, maybe other areas like America, they might have more as you said, counselling, maybe drug and alcohol, looking at supporting people in those situations, um, even homelessness um, as another issue we haven't spoken about, um, which can be a major factor. Um, yeah, certainly there there are lots of ways that we, in the medical terms, we call it the voluntary sector, that we would engage with the voluntary sector and be really appreciative of um, all of the work that's done there, even in and in Northern Ireland, including churches, um, to support people because it's not a single issue for most people. There's, there's, it's a, 
there's several issues going on here that's culminated probably in this in this in this in this person's life t- that they feel this way um so every little helps doesn't it mm. if everyone's informed and involved maybe a a, a dumb question at, at, at this stage but we were talking about the church coming up with um engaging in the conversation we hinted on a little bit there about how this is suddenly every it's in vogue. Lots of people are talking about this. How did we get here? What what is causing? Um, is it Northern Irish society as we transition out out of a conflict? Is it that? Is it the decline of the church and community structures and all the rest? Is it the rise of drug? I, I guess there's. I mean, even as I begin to ask the question, uh, there's a whole pile of complex stuff there happening, but. Where do we, what, why is this happening? Where, where do we go for a some degree of an, an answer, uh, uh, a concept of the the problem? Yeah, okay. I mean, that's a massive question. And it's yeah. obviously a question which probably, you know, preachers and, and Christian thinkers are going to spend a bit of time on. And if you're doing, you know, apologetic work at all, it's, it's the kind of thing you're going to think about. Um uh, and I'm glad you mentioned the South there, actually, Ben, because the metrics for mental health in, in uh, Republic of Ireland at the moment are shocking, you know, in the city of Dublin. Uh, it's yeah. absolutely extraordinary. Um, so it's kind of ironic that um, Southern culture at the moment prides itself in terms of its, uh, you know, moment of liberalisation and people are free from the shackles of the traditional church and all the rest of it. And yet, if you ask people, um, you know, if they were happy now, people are like, uh, according to polls, more unhappy now than ever before, even though they've got more money than ever before. So um, there is a kind of a sickness, as Kierkegaard might say, a sickness unto death, a kind of a malaise in society, north and mm. south. Mm. Uh, I think it's to do with, yeah, the fragmentation of relationships, the rejection of um, the Trinitarian God or, the, you know, our God. Um, I think that... Um, yeah, there's just a breakdown of family life. Um, I think the move from agricultural um, land-based families to industrialization and now um, post-industrialization has led to um, a, a greater sense of um, kind of fragmentation in terms of how communities exist in, in urban areas. And um, I think that, that's obviously like a big thing, but I think... Um, I think that's part of it. So you've got a, a culmination of factors in the yeah. West which are, are kind of working and, and coercing together to produce almost like a perfect storm of fragmenta- fragmentation in, uh, across multiple levels of society. Mm. So it's, fundamentally, it's about broken relationships. Now, it's obviously, it's so much more mm. in terms of you know genetics and in terms of conflict that you mentioned, Ben, and blah 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 but ultimately it's it is about broken relationships i think i don't know whether jenny would want yeah. to disagree or agree <laughs> no i agree yeah that's it's that feeling um that you would see people talk about a lot of feeling very isolated um be that in a rural setting where perhaps they feel like aren't very close to the local community which traditionally would be quite supportive um or whether they're in the middle of a hustling city but they can't they don't have anyone that they call a friend um and the breakdown of family that i think you've hinted at there that um we have a generation growing up without with maybe one parent or the loss of a parent um and the the impact of that um 
the rise in use of of, of drugs um, and alcohol, which um, we we have we've seen as well. And I suppose the post the post conflict part of it is that the, we do have higher rates of mental illness as a result of that, higher rates of PTSD, um, and then the effect of that well that generation you spoke about intergenerational at the at the start the effect of that our older generations experience on younger generations and um economic deprivation as well mm-hmm. so um that's a real effect on lack of employment um and then people are feeling hopeless i think is the main is the main word that i would hear a lot mm-hmm. yeah. jenny i'm i'm listening to this and and even thinking now you know, uh, in my own context in, in Rathcool and the church then that, that I serve in, even in this past two weeks, I can think of, you know, two families who are dealing with uh, attempted suicides. I can think of, uh, you know, half a dozen more who are uh, who are experiencing and going through uh, one or one or more people in a household who are uh, dealing with and struggling with um, probably the best way I can phrase it is like a it is undiagnosed mental health issue of some description. Um, where can we where can we go as uh, as ministers, as elders, as uh, as lay people um, who know family and friends and people who are struggling with mental health issues right now? Where can we point people? Where can we say you should go here? You should speak to this person because that's where I find myself coming up short more times than not. Okay. So again, I will say that I'm coming from this from a very medical point of view, and it's hard to take those colored glasses off. Um, I suppose if they've had that initial conversation and they're aware that they're, that there's a problem and they would like it to be addressed, I would say, go and talk to your GP, go and talk to your GP there. They're a good initial point of contact to try and assess where that person's at. Maybe it could be addressed within um, a local counselling at a local level or with their GP, whether they need to then go on and see um, secondary services at the hospital. Um, if it's at a time where at a real point of crisis, when you're worried about the person's safety, I would um, encourage them to go to their GP out of bars or go up to an A&E. And all of our trusts have have crisis teams who work 24 hours a day who will come and see that person do a full mental health assessment and be able to to point them then to where they can get help at that point. Um, Within our local communities, we do have lots of um, groups that can be helpful. Um, uh, But I think that that's probably the the wisest thing to do would be to, if you're really concerned that somebody um, needs some help, that they may have a mental health problem would be to get them seen by a mental health professional and let them do that risk assessment and decide where would be appropriate for, for them and to pray with them. And then, to as I said, to be that, that, that person who's still going to be there at the end of that assessment, at the end of that appointment, during that process, that you're you're still going to be there. You're still going to be supporting them. You're still going to be... Um, pointing them to Christ and it's it's that part of it that I think is really important whenever I'm seeing them on the other end to know that there's there's a there's a church there's a there's a 
there's a there's a network there that's supporting them in the background that's really reassuring um what do you think of that marty well that was thought that was class actually jenny i'm really glad you said that because again you know the resources of our, our church you know if you look at chapter 26 of the communion of saints in the westminster confession of faith and it talks about how you know, we have fellowship and the graces of Jesus, suffering, death, resurrection and glory. We're united to one another in love and with communion with one another and gifts and graces. And, you know, that is so, so, so important when you're sitting in a mental health ward with somebody who feels that they're um, a rubbish Christian, a crap Christian because they've got bad mental health and they're depressed. You know, and you're, you're actually saying, actually, you know, as a fellow struggler, we're, we're in this together because of Christ. And I, I think for Christians struggling with mental health, that's so important. Um, and I've, I had a beautiful experience once when I went to visit somebody on a ward um, in, a, in a hospital. And it was Easter time and uh, there was one of those uh, joint ecumenical services on Good Friday. And uh, and uh, the nurse stuck her head around the door and, and said to me, oh, you're, you're so-and-so's minister. Why, why, why don't you take them over to that little service? And I thought, oh, my goodness, what's this going to be like? Now, predictably enough... Um, there wasn't much by way of message, but we sung traditional Easter hymns. Um, you know, there's a green hill far away. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. And when you're when you're there singing that hymn, um, thinking about the substitutionary atonement of Christ with somebody really struggling, it's so, so powerful, you know, and the gospel is so powerful to change people's lives. And it's not as we understand it, in terms of our both our medical understanding or spiritual understanding you know healing can take a very very long time um and you know the apostle paul despaired of life itself uh you know and he talked about being perplexed and looking through the glass darkly and just not understanding so much um and we know how christ despaired of course as well in the forsakenness and we we see so much pain in the bible we see the pain of people like job and when you're in pastoral situations with 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 people it, 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 that the scriptures become very, very vivid. So I think uh, what Jenny just said there about just keep loving people, keep hanging in there with people, just remind them that they're part of God's covenant people. We, we do suffer, we do struggle, but we also believe in the perseverance of the saints. Does that make sense? Is that absolutely? Yeah, absolutely. I think whenever, um, whenever somebody feels hopeless or worthless, that life's not worth living, or as you pointed to in despair or they feel discouraged because of their mental illness. Yeah. Point, as you said, if they're a Christian pointing them back to, to Christ and to his faithfulness and his love and the hope that we have in him. I mean, yeah, he is the good shepherd. Yeah. But well, I will say this as well. Um, for people, one of the things I learned, uh, probably about this time last year, I was dealing with some very, very difficult situations. Um, at multiple levels and um, had had engaged in some horrible, horrible pastoral problems. Um, um, one of the things, I, I had a kind of like a mini breakdown. Basically, the doctor put me off and um, he put me off for two weeks. And then after that, as people know, my son had open heart surgery for the third time. So I was basically off for like seven weeks. And I did a lot of reading and a lot of thinking in that period of time and read really helpful uh, books by that refresh book by David Murray is such a good book. Um, and I read another one called the soul of shame by a guy called Kurt Thompson. And I'm really recommending people read those, those books. Um, because um, one of the things I learned, uh, and this relates to how 
Christians, like ministers, elders, and, and Christian workers who are, who are ministering to people with depression or mental health issues or, or ministering in context of suicidal pain and, and all that cataclysmic horribleness, one of the things that you really have to learn is, is to know how to look after yourself. Mm. And, um, I, um, I started reading books which, which were written by Christians and some non-Christians, but books which um, really talked about the danger of adrenaline. Like we all need a level of adrenaline to do our job, you know, to rush into situations to help and to, to encourage, to be there for people in crisis situations. But we also need to learn how to, how to, how to switch that off. And um, that, that was something that I really needed to learn how to do. And it's amazing it took like nearly 11, 12 years of ministry before I realized the importance of Sabbath. Mm. The importance mm. of, if I do, if I, if I did like a suicide funeral, um, and sadly I've done quite a few now, if I did those, um, I would tend to make sure afterwards I would disappear for a reasonable length of time, either on a surfboard or kicking a football with my son or just just disappearing. And um, Jesus actually walked away from crowds, didn't he? You know, there were times when Jesus had to respond to people's needs, but there were also times when he when he walked away. And I think I think we do need to walk away from situations for our own good. I know that sounds harsh. I don't mean to be harsh, but you really need to look after yourself if you're going to look after people in crisis situations. No, brother, that's uh, good and wise um, advice. And uh, you've been telling us to to take things slow, to know that we don't have um, all, all the answers, to, to know that we'll, we're going to feel um, inadequate, um, and rightly so, uh, because we are inadequate uh, compared to uh, our, our Savior, uh, our Lord. Uh, it, it's him that we share uh, rather than our, ourselves. Otherwise, we'll, we'll very quickly uh, burn out. Uh, and then to take that take that time uh, processing through uh, and after uh, hard, hard, hard funerals and hard events. Uh, wise, wise, wise stuff. Uh, Marty, maybe you could share with us um, some... Uh, some encouragement really from from your 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 labor in the vineyard uh for the master um yeah you know i don't know whether i'm right or wrong saying this i kind of at the point now nearly 13 years this autumn whether whether it's good to say a long ministry or medium length ministry or longer ministry is better than a shorter one but i think if you stick around in a place for long enough you begin to see real change in people's lives and i'm so thankful that I have seen that. I've seen people rescued from addiction. I've seen people healed from profound mental health problems. Um, and I would, I would say that it's been because faithful pastoral visitation on the part of the community of faith, faithful exposition of the scriptures. Um, you know, it's amazing how I might sit down in June and plan I don't know, October sermons and, and somebody's really struggling in October and a sermon that I planned for Mark's gospel back in June, you know, was preached in October and it just speaks exactly, you know, yeah. in, into their situation. So I just, I would want to encourage people to be faithful to the word of God, faithful to expository ministry, faithful to do that within the context of covenantal understanding of how God works. In Genesis to Revelation, he saves the people, he holds on to them, and he'll finish the good work that he started. And obviously, within that sanctifying process, there's lots of 
bumps and knocks along the way and some of them are very very hard and very brutal but uh, you know god always wins in the end and i've really seen some encouraging uh stories so i would just want to encourage people in christian ministry just to stay faithful and keep at it because we do have a, a a shepherd who looks after the sheep definitely Jenny and then Marty, could you maybe point uh, us and point our our listeners maybe in the direction of uh, something you've read that you found to be particularly helpful in this area? I think I'm going to have to pass this one over to Marty because I'm going to be completely honest and say I don't read, I really don't read that many books. I've set myself a goal this year. Of, I've seen that someone had set themselves a goal of trying to read 12 books in a year. So I've picked a smart goal of three, but I'm slightly worried that it's the beginning of March and I'm only into the second chapter of book, of book one. Um, so I'm going to hand over to Marty on this. <laughs> Oh, well, um, I, I love reading this. People who know me know. Um, so I think I think in terms of like your own personal care, I I love books like uh, Dallas Willard's Renovation of the Heart, Richard Lovelace's Dynamics of Spiritual Life, um, older Puritan works, I think, like A Body of Divinity by Watson, like that kind of core doctrinal stuff, I think is really good for keeping you in the game when you're despairing and you're in really difficult situations. Um, what... I mentioned um, about Kurt Thompson, The Soul of Shame. I think I mentioned that already. That, that's a phenomenal book. Um, I'm not saying I agree with everything he, he writes, but it's it's a Christian book, just really helpful at describing neurobiological pathways. And I think he does that very succinctly. And I think if I could encourage people just to read a book like that, where you've got a Christian writing about neurobiological pathways, he's describing how adrenaline works, what happens when people get bad news, how the brain reacts, how the neurons work. I think it's really, really, really helpful both for yourself and for people you minister to um, in describing what happens when people get stressed. Um, and then, um, you know what's really good? Sometimes you come across books which are completely not Christian at all, but in many ways they corroborate um they're kind of common grace books because they actually um well all truth god's truth right so they actually prove what we already believe about things like the ten commandments so it's a book by a guy called warren farrell and john gray who's the famous men are from mars women are from venus author um there's a book called the boy crisis and um that's a really interesting book now it's dealing with uh, male mental health and masculinity but it's interesting because some of the conclusions that the guy comes to even though he's an evolutionary psychologist some of the conclusions are uh, straight out of kind of um scriptural understandings of fellowship truth love sacrifice stuff that we we um we believe in and he he looks at um he looked at suicide rates amongst people in in new york and he discovered that um almost without um, exception, where men were engaged in something like a men's shed movement or like a regular accountability group, they, di- they, they, they didn't commit suicide. They obviously, they, they, they went through the mental health problems that came out the other end um, restored because they were in an accountable group. Now, again, going back to the communion of saints and what the family of God are meant to be like, I mean, we should, we have ultimately the answer um, in the community of grace, the community of Christ's love, and um, that ultimately um, scripture is the greatest book, isn't it, that supports us. So get to know scripture and how it speaks to people's broken souls and heals them. That's really cool. Um, thanks so much. I'll tell you what we'll do then, Ben. We'll get a hold of a copy of The, the Soul of Shame then by Kirk Thompson. We'll have that as our giveaway 
this week. So if you're listening right now and you want to be in with a chance to win that book, um, if you could like and retweet the show's release tweet on our Twitter page or send us a, a kindly worded email to pcicast.outlook.com and we'll, uh, we'll consider amending the rules uh, for, for you if, you if you're that way inclined. Listen, Dr. McNeely, Dr. Preston, thank you so much for being with us this evening and talking through these issues. It's been really, really helpful, certainly to me, um, as a pastor in my own context, but hopefully to uh, to our listeners as well. Um, and thanks for thanks for doing this on a Sunday night as well. We're recording on a Sunday night. I know that the, we've all been to church and we're all tired, and you're putting kid to sleep. And well, listen, guys, thank you so much. It's been it's been great uh, chatting to you. And uh, Ben, do you want to say goodbye as well? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Um, well, to you guys, not to Jenny. <laughs> it's supper time now. Uh, yeah. We uh, we thank you. Yes, you have provided us food for thought and our listeners uh, around some of the answers that we can get out there in the world, which is good. Uh, and then the sh- on Ch- Marty, you've been challenging us back to the Christ-shaped answers that only the church can provide uh, as well. Uh, I think what we've done here has opened a conversation. We've talked quite broadly about mental health and uh, all of that. This could be something that we might want to return to, perhaps in uh, future PCI cast episodes. I think so, yeah. Yeah. But uh, for, for now, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening to PCI cast. Join us again next time for another conversation about life and faith in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. In the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Twitter using at PCICast. See you next time. Our little man has started to cry. <laughs> I'm going to have to go up and put back in a dummy here. Just give me two minutes. <laughs> put your dummy in, Ben. Ah, yeah. Ugh.